Thanks to Zapier for supporting MarketFoolery. Zapier is the easiest way to automate your work. It connects all your business software and handles work for you, so you can focus on the things that matter most. Try Zapier for free by going to our special link, zapier.com. It's Monday, October 14th. Welcome to Mark Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, and thank goodness he's in the building, because it's a quiet day here at Full Global Headquarters. From MFAM Funds, it's Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So, schools are out in the Commonwealth of Virginia, or at least in our neck of the woods. So, yeah, a lot, not a lot of people here at the office. So, again, thank you for, for coming in. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to get a little bit of an earnings preview. And, I mean, we got to talk a little bit of baseball, but let's, let's start with, uh, let's start with the mailbag. Uh, and you can always email us. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. Question from Caroline in New York City. Uh, Wrote in regarding a New York Times article on startups in Silicon Valley, maybe starting to focus a little bit more on turning a profit. This is in reaction to a host of so-called unicorns going public in 2019, and let's just be charitable and say not faring so well initially in the public markets. And so Caroline asks, "Do you think this focus on profitability over growth will affect the stock prices of companies that have been out there and trading for a while?" I'm wondering if I should expect a crash in my growth tech stocks soon. What do you think? Well, I think that over the long term, um, profitability is always going to be the thing that dictates where a stock ends up. So, uh, growing indefinitely without producing profits or producing a credible story um, and credible look, the credibility of a story changes with the sentiment of the market, and and I think that. A few months ago, everything was getting the benefit of the doubt. Uh, there was just excitement. People were looking at where growth stocks had gone, and sketchier and sketchier things were able to go public. Uh, but once you evaluated in the light of the market, uh, profits always over the longer you go out, the more the true economics of any company are going to dictate its stock price. Yeah, we talk from time to time about the concept of leash and having your stocks on a leash and how long is that leash. And I think to Caroline's question, I think that particularly for growth companies that maybe aren't showing a profit right now, I think it's fair to assume that they probably are on a little bit of a shorter leash because I think that. There are some growth companies out there that, if they're not turning a profit, then it's all the more important to pay attention to what is management saying. Um, and you know, one company that leaps to mind is Shopify, um, where people, you know, look at the business and say, you know what, they're not turning a profit, but I believe in this management team. I don't want them turning a profit right now. I want them investing in. Growth for the next five years, or whatever the relatively short-term timeline is, and so you know, compare that to other companies where it's just like, um, okay, management, what's your plan? Because if you don't have a plan to invest in growth in a smart way, then uh, sorry, you're not getting my investment dollars. Yeah, and I think that uh, where. The enthusiasm has been and, and continues to, you know, to fuel a lot of these stock prices of year to date. The software as a service companies that you've talked about a lot of those on the show, and the things that are getting 
uh, more uh, crushed are, are the ones that really don't fit into that category and tried to play along with, look at how fast we say we can grow. Whether you're talking about Uber or Lyft, or whether you're talking about uh, WeWork and its failure to ultimately go public, uh, the simple "we can grow" kind of like those places, those other <laughs> software as a service companies. Okay, but your costs grow along with that in a way that isn't the case for the software companies. So they're still they're still on a pretty long leash because I think that the uh, growth story. Still, you know, is getting a lot of enthusiasm from the market because it makes sense that profits will follow in a way that doesn't for these other more asset-heavy companies. And there's absolutely a ripple effect going on, and it's somewhat analogous, I think, to the automobile industry. I remember talking years ago with a friend who worked for, and I'm not going to say which one, but worked for an automaker, and basically, I just said, "Hey." Anytime there's a recall, a safety recall, whether it's your company or not, is it safe to assume that all the automakers just sort of roll their eyes and say, because you all get dinged a little bit if one company issues a safety recall and and, half a million cars are part of it, then all of you kind of get dinged? And he basically said, yeah. We we all sort of you know it does obviously the worst scenario is if we're the ones who have to issue the safety recall, but if any of them do it in a big way, then we all kind of get dinged for it. And I think where it shows up in growth stocks has played out over this calendar year, where as you said, you go back six months, everything was great, (laughs) everything showed a lot of promise, and then you just sort of had almost this steady drumbeat of. You know, Uber and Lyft going public, and it's like, yeah, the, you know, the demand isn't really there. Beyond Meat, even with the success of the opening day for Beyond Meat, you had people looking at it and saying, "Really, it's going to go up that much? That seems a little crazy." And then culminating in WeWork, where all they had to do there was no scandal at WeWork. Let's let's always remember that about WeWork. There was never really a major scandal of any kind. They simply just. Put their financials out for the public to see, and absolutely everyone grimaced and said, "No, thank you." Yeah, I think, and and the reason that the grimacing um, turned into no IPO was because the profits story just didn't stand up to you know any testing, uh, and to just sort of say, "Look, we're we're going to grow. We're confident in ourselves. We'll figure it out." You know, if you squint your eyes this way and you ignore costs uh, that are real, but you know can be waved away by you know a, a mental agreement that they don't count for some reason, then look, there are profits, and and it's just too convoluted a story. Um, and the the stocks that are continuing to have strength over time. Look to the auto point. Yes, there's a sector sympathy movements in the short term to a story like that. And over long term, if you don't have recalls of your own vehicles, then you know it. This the stock readjusts. Whereas the ones who are continuing to have their their cars recalled suffer the consequences because there are real economic consequences to that. Uh, so short term, you're going to see stock consequences. Long term, the economics are always going to dictate the ultimate value. Question from Edward in Maple Ridge, British Columbia. What a great name, Maple Ridge, and fitting that you know it's a it's a town in Canada. 
Um, Edward actually posted uh, this question in the Motley Fool's podcast group uh, on Facebook, and this is regarding um, sort of common reasons that a newer investor would just quit the stock market. Uh, and Edward writes, I'd be interested in knowing some of the strongest reasons for this with the hope of either preventing those reasons or preparing to endure them. You got to like the mindset of a new investor who just walks in the door and says, you know what? Uh, I know for a fact that there are people who give this a shot, and then after a short amount of time, they wash their hands of it and, and just quit stock investing altogether. What are those reasons? Yeah, the number one reason is losing money. Right. So, I mean, this there are any number of psychological studies that would show that you know if your first you know your first impressions are are huge. So, if your first experience with stocks is you buy them and then they go up, you get more interested in them and you get more willing to take larger risks. Or, or that that isn't necessarily the case, but you're going you're unlikely to quit. When all that you see is your stocks going up, and you are highly likely to quit if your first experience is seeing something plummet. So, I guess knowing that and knowing that the stock market, if you go in and you say, hey, at some point when you invest, stocks are going to decline as, as a group, they're going to decline. Twenty percent, and really, over your lifetime, you're going to have experience of stocks declining thirty or fifty percent. And you know, over the last twenty some years that we've been here, we've seen a you know a couple of those. And so, if you go in knowing that, and then if the first thing that happens is your stocks go down twenty percent, then perhaps you'll be better armed to say something other than, "Why does this always happen to me?" You know, like everybody else got to make money. I just got started, and you know, of course, I've lost money, and it's something about me, right? There, are, there are lots of sort of psychological experiments that would that would help people understand, you know, where their emotional reactions are to to stocks. Well, and I think along with that, uh, it speaks to the importance of as early as possible when you start investing in the stock market, find a way to diversify. And spread out your risk. You know, don't just buy one stock because if you, yeah, and we hear this over the years. Someone it's like, I started investing. I bought this one stock. It went down thirty percent. I sold it, and I left stock investing forever. So, to the extent that you can buy a basket of stocks right out of the gate, um, that's probably going to help. Yeah, don't fall in love with a stock is one piece of advice. So that if you Buy something and it goes up, and then you buy more and it goes down, and you say, oh, I'm, "I'm extra confident in this, and I'm buying more now." And you put more of yourself into one stock, one company, then then makes a lot of sense. Um, that is also the kind of thing that that can hurt you. But for a, a young investor, and I think we've got a uh, you know a UCLA address on this email. So uh, that was on the previous email. Previous email. I'm sorry. Well, you know. Uh, I think that for any young investor, you go back and read. The and by the way, you can be fifty years old, and if you're new to stock investing, fifty is very young. You're, you're a young investor. <laughs> Who's calling fifty old? <laughs> Not you and me. No. Uh, Warren Buffett's advice on this is: uh, if if you are a net investor, somebody who is 
a net buyer of stocks, as you hopefully are in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and 50s. What do you want? You want the stock market to go down. You don't want the stock market to go up, especially when you're in your 20s. You know, you're you're buying stocks. Let's say you do everything right, and you're buying stocks in your 20s that you're not going to sell until you're 65, just to take an old, you know, and mostly outdated retirement date number. But what do you want to do? You want to buy stocks that, when you're 65, will have been really cheap when you were 20, 25, 30, 35. So you don't want the stock market to go up because you're mostly buying. You're you're not you're not a, a net seller. When you're a net seller, you want the stock market to go to the moon, right? But when you're a buyer, you want the stock market to go down. So if your first experience is I bought some stocks and the stocks went down, great, because you got another 30 years of adding money to the market. Uh, last thing uh, before we move on, um, and I think this can play into the temperament, uh, particularly if you're new to investing. Um, recognize that um, yes, there are a lot of in stock investors out there, um, but there aren't as many as probably should be investing. And so the conversations that you're going to have with people about investing are, are going to be somewhat limited. Uh, and where I'm going with this is something that um, uh, David and Tom Gardner, when they started the Motley Fool back in the 1990s, and we had discussion boards. I always loved the fact that one of the most popular discussion boards was not about a particular company. It was a discussion board called My Dumbest Investment. And it was this very vibrant community where people would just go in and say, oh, yeah, here's a stock I bought. I was totally wrong. This was my thinking at the time. It, you know, I still hold on to it just as a reminder to keep me humble, that sort of thing. But you know, if you if if all you're doing is pay attention, uh, paying attention to advertising, all of the advertising out there is going to be about the success people have in the stock market, and super successful investors are getting six out of ten right, which means four out of ten are not going the way they want. And so, finding a way, Edward, and really for all of us to be part of a community where recognition of one's mistakes. Is part of the conversation on a semi-regular basis because it's always just helpful to know, you know, to go back to something you said earlier. It's not just me. I'm not the only one making mistakes here. Other people are making mistakes as well, and that's you know that's that's normal. And um, you're going to win more than you lose uh, the longer you stay in the game. To go back to one thing you were talking about, which was Canada, we we need some questions out there about Canada. Questions for us to answer at some point. Yes, we're not going to go into why. Well, I. So I'll, I'll you're going to go into why. I'm going to go into a little bit of why. When I said we're not going to go into why. I was talking about me. You're going to go into why. I'm just going to share that uh, for those, uh, and I'm not going to say dozens of listeners, but I would say for those few listeners who have asked me in person and submitted this question via email, hey, when are you guys going to do another apropos of nothing episode? Uh, we're hoping to do one pretty soon, and it's entirely possible that it's going to have a, a Canadian theme to it. Apropos of Canada. Apropos of Canada. It's so. a new spinoff from the wildly successful Apropos of Nothing uh, first series. I think wildly successful <laughs> is, is a gross overstatement. But if you have questions about Canada, 
drop us an email, marketfullery at fool.com. The less the, we'll also take questions about stocks, too. Right. And the less serious the questions are, the more likely we are to address them. Absolutely. Although, you know, it's hard. A really good question about Canada is helpful, too. Absolutely. Um, quick shout out to Zapier. When you're running your own business, your to do list is never ending. You know that because you're running your own business. The solution automate tasks. That's where Zapier comes in. Zapier is built to automate your work because it connects all your business software and handles work for you so you can focus on the things that matter most. Go to zapier.com slash fool, connect the apps that you use, and let Zapier take it from there in minutes. Here at The Motley Fool, we've got people using a lot of different systems. You've heard us talk about them before, Google Docs, Slack, etc. Zapier helps us integrate them all. Because when you're going from Google Docs to Slack, to Zoom video and back again, you can lose track. It, I'm just saying, it's possible to lose track. And Zapier is great at helping us zap from one app to the next. Right now through November, try Zapier free by going to zapier.com slash fool. That's Z-A-P-I-E-R.com slash fool for your free 14-day trial. That's zapier.com slash fool. Earnings season officially kicks off later this week because Alcoa reports on the 16th. What are you going to be? Actually, before we get to an earnings preview, and I am curious about that, um, you wanted to touch briefly on the weekend box office. Um, we're sort of in that in between period. The summer blockbusters are in the rearview mirror. The serious Academy Award bait films are, I would say, a good month or so away from hitting the theaters. And so we're at this in between period. Um, second weekend in a row, uh, Joker. It was uh, top at the box office, $55 million in uh, domestic box office. Uh, the Adams Family, um, coming in uh, at $30 million. I don't know. That's For those unfamiliar, this is an animated version of The Adams Family. Um, and I don't know how many versions we've had. There was obviously the classic TV series, and then the, um, uh, the ones, I guess, in the 90s uh, with Angelica Houston. Couple movies, yeah, yeah, um, and you know who knows. As we've seen with franchises, if the first one makes money, then you better bet a second one is coming. So that first live action Adams Family made money. Um, Christopher Lloyd also in there as well. Um, you have thoughts on the weekend box office? I'm assuming you do because you said, ah, let's just hit that real quick. Yeah, no, I was counting on you to have some good thoughts about it, but I think Dan is the one who has the really good thoughts. I do have a few thoughts on the Adams family, but I'm more interested in what Dan's thoughts are, as I'm sure are the listeners. Uh, I'll just share my one thought, which is um, an animated movie. Um, taking in thirty million, this is a known franchise. I feel like this is a timing mistake on the part of MGM, the studio behind the Adams Family. I feel like if they had come out with this in mid, uh, early to mid November, getting ahead of the Thanksgiving rush, I feel like they would have. Isn't it more of a Halloween thing? Uh, again, come out, come out the uh, the twenty fifth. I, I, I just think they came out too early. Dan Boyd, you have thoughts on the Adams Family? Chris, I certainly do. <laughs> so glad of you to ask. So one thing you did forget to mention: Raúl Julia yes. was in the uh, Adams Family the films late, in the 1990s. The late great Raúl Julia. He played Gomez Adams in those films. And so when I was a kid, 
uh, I saw. I remember seeing those uh, Adams Family films in the theater, and to little burgeoning, oh my, oh my goodness, <laughs> burgeoning, burgeoning goth Dan Boyd, uh, it was just iconic the way everything was styled and the performances. And Angelica Houston is just amazing. And I named my motorcycle Morticia, and <laughs> so I I have you know a lot of uh, a lot of connection to these films. They're fantastic, and I remember seeing the uh, I haven't seen the Adams Family uh, Adam uh, animated film yet, but oh man, when I look at the way that they've taken the art direction, I guess in that film and make everything just so silly and toothless. It's. I think it's. I think it's disappointing and a little bit of a missed opportunity to maybe not make a scary movie, but like put a little bit more edge into it. You know, uh, make it make it a little more appealing to perhaps kids over three. I don't know. No, I think you're right, and and that you you go to something that I think is at the heart of the appeal of the Adams family, just as a story that it it really at its best. It was humorous, and yet you could count on like every once in a while, like a, a legitimate scare. Yeah, and like the Adams Family films, they're pretty wholesome if you go back and look at them because they're about families and sticking together and loving each other and working together and working through problems. And uh, it, but it was still a little bit like like okay, like it's it's. Not again, not scary, but it's got a little bit a little bit of bite to it, and I I, I enjoy that. So I when uh, I was looking up some facts about the Adams family and, and talking about seeing the movies in the '90s as you know your first introduction to them in the theaters really is likely to make some of us feel old. As since that was <laughs> I'm probably sorry, like I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you specifically like feel old. The fourth major iteration of the Adams family um, because. Uh, I, of course, grew up watching uh, the reruns of the original series. I didn't see the, the first run, but it was certainly on uh, UHF, for those who know what UHF is, uh, which should be some of the audience. Hopefully. The kids today? Would, would are, you your talking kids? About, are you talking about the Weird Al Yankovic movie? <laughs> no. Keep going. <laughs> Just, just move on. But I also grew up reading the uh, the Adams, the original Charles Adams Adams Family cartoons from the New Yorker. Oh, right, yes, from the 1930s and 40s, which is when the the, the origin of the Adams Family, which was is when you were in high school, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I hadn't really processed the way you know the Adams Family was credited as being such an influence on the goth culture. Uh, that that the Wikipedia page talks about, and Dan has brought up on his own. And I've never really thought of you as goth, but uh, well, you've I've, styled I've, yourself that now. So I will I've, always think of you that way from now I've, on. I've grown out of it, but let's just say that I have some sincere goth tendencies to this to this day. What would those be? I listen to a lot of uh, you know, like stuff like typo negative and. Joy Division and Bauhaus and stuff like that. It puts me in a very good October mood. You so, know what? If you will, you know what? Just throw a little something on the end of this episode. Just uh, you know, okay, to, to mix up the music. Right. So you know, if you're ever in Philly, uh, I've said that the Liberty Bell is the most overrated uh, tourist item in, in America, perhaps. Um, but take that time that you would have done that and go over to the the University of Pennsylvania campus. They've got. Uh, a Charles Adams, I think, uh, fine arts school, 
and one of the things there, they've got some um, things that you don't realize the first time you pass them out, but they're outlines of the cartoon Adams Family. The cartoon, the 1930s cartoon, not this cartoon version of the movie today, but also they've got a, a this big iron door that, that shuts and, and closes it at night, and it's adorned with about 40 hands of, of thing um, in various motions, and it's you can spend a little bit of time appreciating that. It's a much better tourist attraction, I would say. So, Bill, than the Liberty Bell. And the how, Liberty Bell. how close is the current design of the Adams Family, the movie that just came out, to the original cartoons? Uh, I uh, I don't know. It's uh, I haven't really watched the commercials, d- despite the number of times they've been foisted upon me during the the playoffs. Okay, we'll get to the playoffs. Not next. close enough. I mean, influenced <laughs> by, but it's uh, I mean, uh, the Charles Adams. You're talking about the toothlessness of this version, and you know the original version was a little a little darker, but still family friendly, and and you know they weren't doing. Well, I mean, death was was omnipresent. I think in in, in what they found uh, entertaining. Uh, before we get to the playoffs, real quick earnings preview. Anything in particular you're watching uh, as earnings season, the final earnings season of 2019 unfolds? Yeah, I'm watching what companies say about the the trade issues playing on their. I, I think there's it's it's at a point where they should be able to quantify. Some of this, uh, and I'm, I'm very interested in how willing companies are to go into that and to uh, put some numbers on it. Uh, so, but the earnings are going to be fine. Um, they're they're going to be right about. They're going to be a little bit under as they always are. Um, you know where where earnings were projected to be a little while ago. Earnings for next quarter are going to come down. Um, as is always the case, you get a little closer to the earnings, and all the analysts have to pull back their numbers because they always start out with too much growth. Earnings earnings per share grow at a pretty steady six percent a year. Uh, it, it, that hasn't changed in thirty five years. Um, the analysts always project fifteen percent growth for some reason, and then they pull back and adjust. Playoff check-in first with Dan Boyd. Uh, game three between the Washington Nationals and St. Louis Cardinals tonight here in Washington. The Nats, somewhat surprisingly, won both games in St. Louis. How I'd say you, very surprisingly. How, how are you feeling? I feel good. It's uh, Steven Strasburg and uh, what's his name, Flaherty. I forget his first name for the Cards on the uh, on the mound tonight. So it's going to be a uh, one heck of a matchup there. I think. I think we got ourselves a nice little series going on, but the uh, the action has also pivoted to Houston for the Astros and Yankees, where they have split down south, and they're returning to New York tomorrow. So that's uh, things are things are cooking right now in baseball. Absolutely. So for that, we go to Yankee fan number one, Bill Barker. How are you feeling? Tied one one going into Game Three on Tuesday. Tired, tired. It was a long game last night. They managed to. I mean, go a little two two innings, extra innings, but at five hours almost to play that game, which is, I think, about an hour and a half longer than it needed to be. So, uh, just, but but splitting, going back to Yankee Stadium, I th- I think Yankees are still the underdogs, given what we have to acknowledge is the quality of Houston's uh, top three starters. Uh, but uh, I'd rather rather be 
you know, starting the series 1-1 with home field advantage, then 0-0, you know, with Houston with the advantage. So Austin sent me a Austin Morgan, I should say, who's the producer of Industry Focus. So, so some of our uh, listeners might be familiar. He's also a big baseball fan, and he sent me something from uh, MLB Predictions with the chance of winning the World Series for each team. And uh, this might be interesting to you. So the Cardinals are currently sitting at 4% chance. The Astros are at 30%, and the Yankees are at 32%. So, you know, pretty even shots there. But the Nationals are at 34%, and I hate it, Chris. And I, <laughs> I feel like this chart is going to jinx my favorite team into oblivion. So, yeah, that's what I'm feeling right now. I mean, the, one of the interesting things there is not so much the, the, the break points between the, the Yankees, the Astros, and, and the Nationals, is that adding the National League percentages together, you're not getting even to 40%. And the American League is, is highly favored at this point. I'd say that that would, yeah. It, but the, both of those American League I mean, the American League awesome. team will have home field. Yes. So there's that, and they're they're both, you know, they're, they're considered the top pretty, two teams. You know, Beginning and going into the playoffs, they would have been the top two teams in the American League. National League does not have its top two teams uh, in terms of what was expected going into the playoffs. So, so just a tidy. Still seems like the National League's got a better than thirty eight percent chance of winning the, the World Series. I don't know. Those the Astros and Yankees are real good. <laughs> I, they, well, well, the Nationals could. I mean, now we're counting chickens that I know you don't want to count. But, I mean, if they finish this off in five games, which is optimistic but possible, they end up being very rested. And the, the Yankees and Astros look more likely to go deep six or seven games. I mean, we're going to see. But, again, I just hate the fact that that chart gave St. Louis a 4% chance of winning the World Series because now I feel like it's inevitable that they're going to come back from a 2 nothing deficit, beat the Nationals, and then <laughs> just completely school whoever comes in from the American League. So, just to uh, tie a bow on baseball and the movies, uh, this weekend uh, watched the classic f- uh, film 12 Angry Men with Henry Fonda. And uh, a great film, one of those films everyone should see, in part because it's it's about ninety minutes and it's it's just an amazing movie. And so uh, twelve jurors uh, go into a room to try and determine uh, whether someone who's on trial for murder is guilty or not guilty. And uh, before they actually start deliberating, one of the characters is a juror who has tickets to the Yankee game. And he's looking like, hey, let's wrap up this uh, trial so I can get to the baseball game tonight. And I had forgotten that it had been years since I'd seen the movie, and I'd forgotten this wonderful exchange where he's talking about the Yankees, and they got this young player, and he's great, and he's talking to this other juror, and he says to the guy, are you a Yankee fan? And the guy says, no, Baltimore. And he says, Baltimore? That's like being hit in the head with a crowbar once a day. <laughs> About 162 times this year. Yeah, and I just thought, wow, it was it was true in the 1950s, and it's true in 2019. Did those two jurors end up getting along? <laughs> well, I'm not going to spoil the movie. Oh, I mean, we've got the spoiler. Isn't there? It's a... in the title. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Isn't isn't there a play set? In uh, with the or not, I guess not the Nationals because it, it's it was older, but uh, where the Yankees are 
playing, I think, in D.C. F- with with baseball involved. Damn Yankees. Damn Yankees. Damn Yankees. Sure. Yeah, that's a musical. With Gwen Award, Verdon. Award-winning musical. A Cab Hunter, I believe. A Nationals, uh, a Nationals-Yankees series could be the, the Damn Yankees series. Well, that, yeah, back back in the day when uh, the, the Senators were here, yeah, that was what that play was about. That's eh, a little before your time, Senators. A little bit. A little uh, bit. Just a little bit. We're long overdue for ending this episode. Bill Barker from MFAM Funds, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, because way back at the beginning of this episode, we actually did talk about stocks. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by DJ Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. White on white, translucent black capes. Back on the rack Bella Lugos is dead The bats have left the bell tower The victims have been bled Red velvet lines The black box Bella Lugos is dead 